like what we do here at Clever, please consider supporting the show. To make a one-time donation, click the link in the episode description. Thank you. Hello there. This message is coming to you from the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, a collection of fascinating conversations with leading historians, giving you the lowdown on history's biggest characters, hidden stories and greatest adventures. Speaking of great adventures, this week, the History Extra podcast is brought to you by Booking.com. Whether you're looking for a culture-filled city break, a local getaway or a far-flung adventure, you can save at least 30% with Booking.com's Black Friday deals. These deals are for a limited time only, so you'll need to book before 1st of December to make the most of them. But the good news is that you'll have the flexibility to travel any time in 2021. Head to booking.com forward slash Black Friday to book your next big adventure. Can't swatch in store? Finding your perfect foundation match is basically impossible right now. That's why Il Maquillage's online quiz is such a game changer. It finds your perfect match in seconds from the comfort of your own home. And it gets even better. With Try Before You Buy, you can try your full-size shade at home free for 14 days. So convenient in times like these. Take the quiz at ilmaquillage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz. Support for Clever comes from Master and Dynamic. We know you love great design and care about quality audio. So we know you will love Master and Dynamic's headphones and earphones. Brilliant sound and design motivates everything they do. So Master and Dynamic products are the perfect gift for the music and design obsessed alike. And after you see the craftsmanship and premium materials, we know you'll want to get a pair for yourself too. Whether you're looking for luxurious and comfortable over-ear headphones, portable and power-packed true wireless earphones, or an immersive wireless speaker, Master and Dynamic has what you need to upgrade your listening experience. Hear your favorite podcast, clever, obviously, and your favorite songs in a whole new way. Visit masterdynamic.com and use the code CLEVER for 10% off your new pair of headphones. Terms and conditions apply. That's masterdynamic.com. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound great. All the way from Sydney, right? Yes, that's right. Sydney, Australia. (laughs) So you're talking to us from the future. I am. (laughs) Wow. So what's the future like? Is it exciting? Is it sunny? Is it... It's sunny. It's beautiful. It's pretty good. I think the future looks good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. And I'm Amy. This is Clever. Today, we're talking to Gemma O'Brien. She's an artist and designer specializing in lettering, illustration, and typography. Her work takes on a variety of forms, including calligraphic brushwork, illustrated letter forms, digital type, and large-scale hand-painted murals. As a commercial illustrator, she's worked with clients such as Adobe, Volcom, Heineken, Qantas, and the New York Times. She keeps insanely busy, splitting her time between advertising commissions, gallery shows, speaking engagements, personal projects, and she even hosts hand lettering workshops, and I really want to go to one of those. I know, I do too. Plus, she's also masterminded the Spew Bag Challenge, which you'll get to hear all about when we talk to her. 
She's young, talented, and has a really great energy about her. Jamie and I sort of want to be her new BFFs. <laughs> She's also Australian, which means that everything she says sounds really smart and charming. You can see for yourself. Yeah, let's talk to her. So my name is Gemma O'Brien and I'm from Sydney, Australia, and I am a designer and artist specializing in typography and lettering. And I do it because I love it. <laughs> Clearly, you are not just living in Australia. Sounds like you are Australian. So why don't you tell us a, li a little bit more about where you grew up and what that was like? I actually grew up in Brisbane, which is in Queensland. It's about probably about an hour flight north of Sydney, a bit warmer and sunnier than Sydney and New South Wales. And yeah, I had a great childhood. I, I, when I was younger, I grew up with like chooks and a, a which are chickens, like hens, uh, vegetable garden, and it was a pretty good, yeah, it was a pretty good childhood. Did you grow up in the country, or did your parents have a lot of land? Is that why you had chickens? Yeah, my parents separated when I was six, but my dad was a builder, and he would build these beautiful houses, and he built this three-story timber house up in a place called, funnily enough, Mount Glorious. Mm, sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, when we'd stay with dad, we'd go and, you know, do all the garden stuff and chooks and there was lots of space. It was probably about half an hour out of town. So it was like in a little mountain town, not too far from Brisbane. Did you help your dad build? I don't remember like physically building anything, although I do remember like just making and creating things or like looking for four leaf clovers in the garden and that sort of thing. <laughs> that does sound pretty <laughs> idyllic. Yeah. Was it so? Was it mostly you and your dad? Did you have siblings? Was there a stepmom? Did you go I back had, and forth? Yeah, we so we stayed with mom usually during the week, which was in the city, and then we'd stay with dad like every second weekend. And I had an older sister, so she was she is two years older than me. And yeah, we were little buddies, and yeah, we it was pretty good. As far as broken homes go, you had a little bit of everything, and it sounds like you're pretty happy about it. <laughs> because I was only six when my parents separated. And I never, ever remember them fighting. And I think because they stayed friends and, you know, it was quite an amicable breakup that that probably had a positive impact on the family and just the way that you view, you know, parents' relationships. Sure. It sounds like they made a lot of good parenting choices there. <laughs> they did things the right way. In going back and forth between the city and the country, did you have a preference or did you like one location better than the other? I think as a kid you know, you get used to, you know, certain foods and things. And like, I know that me and my sister, when we were younger, like preferred staying in the city with my mom, just because, you know, dad had healthy foods. And funnily <laughs> enough, like as we got older, we both started to shift towards like closer to the types of foods and lifestyle of my dad. And it, yeah, it was kind of funny to look back on it that way. But um, yeah. And you mentioned building stuff with your dad or at least like playing with scraps of wood or something like that. Mm -hmm. Were there any other creative hobbies or activities that you did as a kid? Yeah, I, I remember like I would make little booklets, like I would make little books and illustrate them and kind of staple them together and you know, just generally creative. Like my mum was a uh, kindergarten teacher. So she, even though she didn't draw or paint per se, she was very kind of creative and open. So there'd often be, 
you know, different kinds of papers and things for us to kind of explore and play with. So it was definitely broadly creative without being too specific in, you know, one particular area. Well, I was just going to ask, I mean, when you're playing around with all these papers and pencils, did you start to get that twinkle in your eye, knowing that this was something you were really gravitating towards? Yeah, I think that probably by the time I was in grade one, there'd be art competitions where you had to paint your pet and I remember I painted a picture of a chicken, a chicken that was one of our chooks and her name was Rosie. And I remember, I think I won first prize. So that was probably the first time, you know, I got a feeling that maybe I was good at what I was doing. But yeah, aside from that, it was just quite free and just being creative and making little things that I thought was cute. <laughs> <laughs> were you a pretty good kid? And were you a rebellious teenager or a, a valedictorian? Oh. <laughs> what, what kind of path did you follow? I, I was like, I would say I was a little bit of both. I was definitely very academic at school. I would always do my homework, but then still go to the parties on the weekend. So I think I was probably a little in between. My mum would probably say that in my teenage years, I was a bit rebellious and difficult, especially with her. Mother-daughter relationships are are known to be sometimes problematic. (laughs) All I wanted to do was like move out of home. I wanted to get a car. I think I wanted to work in a bar. Just because it was like the one thing that I wasn't allowed to do because I was too young and there was that side of it. But then, you know, at school I was the sports captain and I got really good grades. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of both. It sounds like so far you grew up living in the country and the city, being both an overachiever and a rebellious youth. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you know how to do a lot of things, Gemma. (laughs) Well, I'm a Gemini. I think maybe does that mean something? I'm oh. a twin. <laughs> it might actually. That might explain some things. So when you started going down a creative path, were your parents fairly encouraging about that or were they a little apprehensive? You know, even though I did art all through primary school and high school, by the time I started to think about what I was going to study at university when I was in university, oh, sorry, in school, I felt not pre- definitely no pressure from my family, but I think from my school because I got good grades to do like a smart career. And so I ended up applying for law school and I, after I finished school, did a year of law school and you pretty quickly realized that it wasn't going to be for me, you know, in terms of like <laughs> my life being a lawyer. Um, you know, I was doing staying up every night to do six hours reading. And that was just like the bare minimum. I wasn't even going above and beyond. And I thought, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like, and I didn't really understand why I'd chosen it after reflecting on it. And so then I dropped out of law school and enrolled in a design degree. And that was like the best thing I ever did. And my parents were always supportive. Like they kind of, you know, they just went along with what I did. And yeah, so that was, I think, probably a really positive thing as well. And where did you go for your design degree? So at this point I was still in Brisbane and so I did law there and I switched to design at the Queensland College of Art and then after a year moved to Sydney with my boyfriend at the time and switched to uh, a Sydney art school. So that four years in design school was pretty like exciting for me having just switched from something I knew I didn't want to do and then suddenly being able to be creative and draw and realize that this could be a job was yeah it was a pretty fun time. Some of the other people that we've talked to have told us that they didn't even know that design was a career choice or a career option for them was that something that was pretty easy for you to discover that existed out there or or did you have to really do a lot more research to find out what kind of 
art or creative path you really wanted to go down? I know nowadays there's, you know, different kinds of studies where it incorporates design or digital media within the, the school education. But for me, the only real creative thing at school was art. And I remember thinking, well, I don't want to study art because artists don't make any money. So I did, should do something that's like kind of in between, you know, which is such a typical thing for people to say when they um, sometimes choose design. And the other thing that I just remember people saying was that they studied design because they wanted to be able to design record covers for their favorite bands. Yeah. It wasn't even that I wanted to do that. It was just that I remembered those things and thought, well, this is probably a good in between. But in terms of, you know, specializing in typography and lettering, like that wasn't even a concept to me until my second year in design school. And, you know, the idea of working purely with letter forms and focusing within typography was something that I just would never have imagined. (laughs) That must have been an exciting discovery for you. Yeah. When you find something that you just feel so energized by and so interested in investigating. That was probably a big turning point for me because... You know, I had loved illustration within design and, you know, had been trying lots of different areas. And then I had an opportunity to set type by hand in the letterpress studio, which was a small one, which was set up at the design school in Sydney. And that was like the point where I was like, wow, you know, suddenly these letters and the fonts were in a physical drawer and you could touch it and you could feel it. And it was just like a whole new way to understand the rules of typography that was really exciting to me. So once you were done with school, what'd you do? Uh, Sorry, do you mean school as in university? Yeah. Once you graduated, did you go out on your own immediately? Did you work for a design company or a creative company of any sort? Well, what actually happened was that uh, while I was still in school, I started a blog called The Love of Type. And this was like really a place for me to channel, you know, my passion. Like it was not, wasn't supposed to be a portfolio website. It was really just, you know, hey, here's some cool typography I saw on the street or here's some sign painting. And I just kind of put it all up there. And so this blog started to get noticed by a few people reading and other than my mum. Um, there, <laughs> there was this one project that I did for my second year graphics assignment in school where I uh, had to do an anti-graffiti campaign and I wrote all over my body in a Sharpie in hand lettering. And this kind of was at the time of like videos going viral on YouTube and Blogger was like the biggest platform. It was in 2008 or 2009. Mm -hmm. And so this video and my blog for the love of type ended up getting spotted by the marketing manager of Font Shop in Berlin. And he wrote this blog Mm -hmm. called Font Blog. And it was read by a lot of people in, um, in the European design community. So he basically wrote this post about my blog about this, you know, 21 year old in Australia who, well, for me, who had done no commercial work, who, you know, I was really just putting up stuff to experiment and kind of explore my own passion for typography. Anyway, so he wrote this blog post and it was called amateur designer and have sex mit Buchstaben, which means amateur designer has sex with letters. Oh, and it was like really critical and saying, you know, and I was using the pseudonym Mrs. Eves. Uh So, you know, didn't know like if I was a student or a, you know, a designer or whether I was working, whether I was from, I don't think it was even apparent that I was from Australia. Um, and it was basically really critical. It's like everything's derivative of Stefan Sagmeister. And so just slammed my blog. And I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like, you know, I'm not even a designer and I'm getting like this critique. And so what ended up happening was all these people wrote in the comment section, like, 
you know, maybe it's something interesting, um, you know, who cares if she's a student, if she's a designer, maybe, you know, there could be something in this and basically disagreeing with him. And so three months later, I get a message on Facebook from Jürgen Siebert, the font shop guy. And he was like, Hey, I wrote this post. And since writing it, I've had a lot of people kind of disagree with me. And so I was interested in kind of hearing a bit more about your story. And would you like to come and speak at Typo Berlin in Germany? So I was basically invited to this big design conference and he asked me if I would speak about Australian typography and the scene over here. And so I was 21, hadn't finished my degree. At, oh my I hadn't gosh. finished school. You got discovered, panned, and then the actual critic had to change his tune and invite you to his <laughs> conference. That's pretty amazing. Exactly. That's exactly. the power of the internet right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I guess that that was like a big point for me in terms of my career before I'd even really done anything and before I'd finished school. So I went over and did that conference and then I came back and finished my design degree. And I think after having been put on that like big world stage and I think that I did okay. And I spoke to different designers in Australia about what they thought about Australian typography. So it kind of deflected away from just me only speaking you know, usually at a conference, you'd see a designer speaking about their work. So I think that after I came back from that, I really wanted to actually just, you know, spend the time that you would get in school to be able to explore and develop your style and focus on a particular area. And so I did that. And then I ended up actually working after I finished school in two post-production type um, visual effects companies, just because I thought, well, I want I don't want to focus too much on typography. I want to make sure I've explored all my options. But mm-hmm. then of course, after about a year, I ended up you know, feeling like actually typography is really the place for me. And I went freelance probably about three years after working for different, um, you know, different design studios in between. Are you still writing the blog? I'm not. I think it probably changed and my interest in it shifted at the same time the technology shifted. So at the time that, you know, blogging was a big thing in two, between 2007 and 2010. And then I started using Instagram probably four years ago and that almost replaced the blogging for me. And I think that the more I started to do commercial work and jobs, it was a bit more time effective as well. And I'm such a visual person that Instagram kind of helped with that shift of being able to like share an image or share a process image or share inspiration that was on the go and not have to kind of write a big description of what it meant to go along with it. So I kind of shifted away from the love type blog and focused on my Instagram. So you went freelance after working for about three years, you said, in various post-production houses. Yeah. So was was that scary to make that leap to go out on your own? Do you have stories of getting your first big clients? What happened? Well, so basically, you know, the tale, which is also a common one I hear a lot, is that I was working full time. And then, you know, at nighttime, I would do little freelance jobs. So I was doing small things along the way mm-hmm. while I was working for these other companies, but definitely not enough that I would think, okay, this is time for me to go out on my own. And I think that the lucky thing for me was that I was working at a company called Fuel VFX. They do Iron Man, very kind of like techie visual stuff. And they actually went bankrupt. And I'd only been there at the time just under a year. So for me, it, you know, it was quite sad for a lot of people who'd been working for the company for 10 years But for me, it was probably the thing that pushed me to like, okay, this has happened. Now I could either look for another job where I'm not 100% satisfied or try it on my own. And I remember thinking that I was, you know, obviously quite scared to be able to maintain enough of an income and creativity 
to keep on moving forward. But luckily I also got approached by the Jackie Winter Group, which is my agent in Australia at the moment, and they said that a job had come along for me, a big job in Sydney that they'd be interested in doing and like trialling me as representing me as one of their artists. So those two things kind of coincided and luckily for me just, you know, that meant I hit the ground running with my kind of freelance career and had the support of an agency to do that production side budgets and all those kinds of things, which I think probably are really difficult when you start out as a freelancer. Oh, wow. What was that first big job? It was for, uh, so Woolworths, which is, I'm just trying to think of an equivalent in America. Like what's, a, what's one of the biggest food, like supermarket chains in oh. America? Not Whole Foods, but something, well, something big, you know, a big, like you know. Like Target, kind of, that kind okay. of scale, okay. supermarket. So it was like a Christmas campaign for them. And at the time, really intricate and flourished illustrative typography hadn't been overdone yet. So they kind of, for their Christmas campaign, wanted this kind of intricate, flourished, where every fresh, fresh Christmas begins. So it was quite like one single campaign slogan, but then it was used, you know, across all the stores in Australia and anything from billboards to bus shelters to, you know, the people's aprons in the deli and that sort of thing. So it was quite a big job in terms of, you know, everyone knew the brand and everyone in Australia saw it. So it was quite a good one to to get things going. Wow. From being discovered by the German font shop guy (laughs) to this big campaign, your life seems punctuated by big breaks. (laughs) That's pretty exciting. I guess it does. Yeah. I'm sure people can hear by your voice. You're on the younger side of things. You know, you're not in your 60s. Nope. (laughs) So is there a work to date that you would describe as your most important work? I kind of split my time between very commercial advertising type work and then more self-directed personal projects and I guess somewhere in between art and design type installations. So for me personally, I think that the most important work is probably um, an exhibition that I had just earlier this year in Laguna Beach in California, which was an installation style space where I basically painted all of the walls and the phrases were taken from, um, you know, like our daily interactions with media. So there was remember me, which was, you know, the little password form where you just asked for it to remember your details. Mm. But I like the idea that something like remember me could be something so throwaway that you see every day in your digital interactions, but then at the same time be so big, like conceptually, like about being human, about why we're here and the things that you might think about. So there was remember me, there was prove you're human, which came from the like little capture test that you do yeah. to prove that you're not a robot. There was like six iterations of okay, 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 you know, the way that we press this every day, but then they were like big, beautifully, intricately painted onto the wall. And then there was wrapping around kind of these centre panels in the gallery space. It said re-establishing lost connection. And this was something that used to pop up on my Facebook uh, when the Wi-Fi dropped out. Mm -hmm. And I just always would see it and, you know, at the time maybe was thinking about a distant friend that I'd lost touch with. And, you know, just all these kind of merging of human relationships and digital media and what that means for us today. And so to kind of bring that to life through campaign typography and create this experience where people had to walk through these oversized letters for me, that was probably the the place I want to head, like in my personal work, where it's, you know, well-crafted design, but an experiential thing for the people who get to see it, and then some kind of concept behind driving what it means as well. So that, for me, is probably the most pivotal piece of work to date for me. 
you said you split your time between the more commercial work and your art endeavors. Do you get to spend that time pretty evenly split? Do you have to self-finance most of the art endeavors? When I think about doing commercial work, I guess there's some projects that are a lot freer and more fun and others that you just do to pay the rent. You know, it's part of, you know, any creative process, I think. And so it's not very clearly split where I do a certain number of days a week. But, you know, if I've done a big block of time where I've been working on ad ad jobs, I might then go, okay, I'm going to work on this and just be unavailable for a month or two. So it kind of just flows depending on what what's coming up or if I'm traveling to a different city. And yeah, it's pretty flexible. You look tired. I take it the caffeine, toothpaste, and adrenaline face serum aren't working? Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a Nectar mattress this year. And if the big guy brings you another unicorn finger puppet, don't worry, because mattresses start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com today. Support for Clever comes from Master and Dynamic. We know you love great design and care about quality audio. So we know you will love Master and Dynamics headphones and earphones. Brilliant sound and design motivates everything they do. So Master and Dynamic products are the perfect gift for the music and design obsessed alike. And after you see the craftsmanship and premium materials, we know you'll want to get a pair for yourself too. Whether you're looking for luxurious and comfortable over-ear headphones, portable and power-packed true wireless earphones, or an immersive wireless speaker, Master and Dynamic has what you need to upgrade your listening experience. Hear your favorite podcast, clever, obviously, and your favorite songs in a whole new way. Visit masterdynamic.com and use the code CLEVER for 10% off your new pair of headphones. Terms and conditions apply. That's masterdynamic.com. I think this is for fun. Maybe it's a job, but there's a, there's a barf bag competition and you've oh. designed several what they call spew bags. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yes, there's a story behind this, indeed. It's called the spew bag challenge. On, it's a hashtag on Instagram. <laughs> you want to look at home. Um, but basically, it just really started. It probably was about three or four years ago. And I was flying to Wellington, so in New Zealand, from Sydney to New Zealand, and I was just sitting on the plane and I was bored and I saw the bath bag that was in the seat. And I don't know if what, the, I mean, I know that different airlines have often have advertising, but these ones on Qantas have basically just a blank, you know, piece of white. So there's all this space. And so I decided that I would draw fully sick. So because it was New Zealand, that's something they say in New Zealand, fully sick. And because it was a spear bag. And so I just got a little, one of the little pencils that the flight attendants give out to the kids and I wrote fully sick and I posted it on Facebook or something. It was just kind of fun and silly and lots of people were laughing and liking it. And then like my dad even called me, he's like, Gemma, are you feeling okay? You put something on the internet. And I'm like, "Ah." oh, it's a joke. Oh, dads. Yeah, pretty cute. But yeah, so then from that point forward, every time I flew, which at the time was starting to be quite frequently because I was doing workshops and so doing lots of little flights in and amongst Australia and overseas. So I decided that every time I would fly, I would think of another puke pun and write it on the sick bag in the duration of the flight. 
And so I started to do a few more that was like Queasy Lover, Buff Punk, My Name is Hurl. I would start to think of any different ways that you could do a puke pun and draw it on the fly. And then I would take a picture, put it on Instagram, and I would leave the sick bag in the seat in front of me so that someone might find it. And so after about, I don't know, maybe six or seven bags, it started to have this huge following on my Instagram. And then I decided to like invite other people to also draw on bath bags in their flights. So I said, look, the rules are that you think of this puke pun, you draw it on your flight. So if you've got like a long haul flight, it can be more intricate and detailed. And then you have to leave the bag in the seat and you take a picture of it and put the hashtag spew bag challenge. And so it just kind of took off had a life of its own like people all around the world were drawing like pop culture references of being sick or on this puke bags yeah and it just I think there's probably over a thousand entries on the hashtag on Instagram oh my gosh I decided that I should start keeping them instead of leaving them in the seats because they were kind of getting such a good following I thought maybe I'll have an exhibition so I decided to have an exhibition of sick bags and I created a few extra ones for the show there was 50 shades of spray and <laughs> rage against the cuisine so it was like <laughs> uh, and then uh, Qantas who's one of the biggest air carriers in in Australia they came to the exhibition and were like hey, like, we'd love to collaborate with you somehow using this project. So they ended up kind of teaming up with me and doing like a month campaign where they encouraged. It wasn't exactly the same because they actually said, look, we love this idea. We love the creativity, but we don't want anything about being sick. (laughs) Of course. Corporations don't want to remind you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Kind of the whole idea. But anyway, it was good for me because it meant that, you know, I could continue to do my own personal version of the project and then just team up with them for a month where they, I think I did, ended up drawing like something like a destination in one of the sick bags and they kind of, yeah, it kind of had a good response. But it was great that, you know, a big corporate brand would jump on this really silly little idea, but it just took off. And I think it just resonates with people because it's something that everyone experiences and they know the context and it's just a bit of fun. So, yeah, that's a cool project. I like how it sort of took off organically and then other people got involved. And I also love the puke pun. It's just good (laughs) humor right there. (laughs) Thank you. This is also a really good example of how creative people can really utilize Instagram. And, you know, you said you got a big following from it. And I guess my question would be, Do you feel like you get a lot of business through Instagram? Is that a channel where you feel like you're succeeding and benefiting and getting new jobs or new work? Yeah, definitely. I think that probably in the last three years, it's been like a big driver of of new work for me, or at least it may be not directly, you know, I'm not like getting direct messages. Hey, can we do this? But, you know, people, maybe art directors or people will follow my work for an extended period of time. And then a job will come along like, Oh, this would be perfect for Gemma. So I think it's just like that idea of like seeing in the same way that branding works is like, you see something Mm -hmm. enough that it's in your mind, you know? (laughs) And I think that, you know, consistently sharing like not only finished pieces, but For me, I like the idea that you can share something that's just maybe an idea or something that's like fleeting or maybe I'll try this experimental, you know, especially with calligraphy or different brush lettering techniques. You can just put something out there and it might not be a fully formed idea, but someone else creative or someone who's got a project might be, oh, this would be perfect for that. So I think there's lots of opportunities 
not just in Instagram, but lots of, you know, online mediums that is really great for creatives. And it's definitely been a big one for me. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I feel like I'm at a point now where it's got its pros and its cons because you kind of define what you do and people follow you for a certain reason. And then, you know, that can sometimes I think maybe just in my head limit like a certain level of experimentation or where you want to go. But It'll be interesting to see what happens. Right. They have like an expectation of what kind of work they expect. And as an artist and a creative, you always want to continue evolving and like pushing forward with what you're doing. And sometimes you get stuck in like a habit or a rut because you're known for that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's almost inevitable because, you know, to be able to ask, be asked to do something creative, people want to see that you've done it before. And then you, you know, you kind of have to repeat lots of things and you have to repeat things to get better at them. So I think it's like, finding a balance between keeping your kind of base level of these, these are some things I do. And then every now and then throwing in one new thing and you can kind of continue to expand your like set of tools that you work with or ideas. When you post a new idea or something kind of experimental, a new direction that you're going in, do you Mm. find that your existing audience responds with fewer likes? Like, do you feel that metric giving you a direct correlation? Do people want your greatest hits? You know, you start to know what people like. For example, you know, if I posted an image that was just a direct like screen grab of something I've been working on digitally, it would get fewer likes than if it was on the desk with a hand and with some evidence of real, you know, and a hundred percent people always seemed to like, especially in my feet, you know, if, if it was like a mural or if there was a sense of scale and, you know, versus just the artwork itself. And, you know, I, I can understand that. I think it's really interesting in terms of, of course, people want to see something that's real that has context because everything's so digital nowadays. So to see that something's hand painted or that something has a sense of human scale is yeah. more appealing. Look, I mean, I know I draw, I'm drawn to it, but then other days I'll like post a drawing. I'm like, this is cool. This is interesting. Not many likes. And then post a picture of my house plants and it goes through the roof. I'm like, come on guys. (laughs) (laughs) So typography is, and hand lettering is one of your primary focuses and your first loves, right? Mm -hmm. And language goes hand in hand with typography. Can you talk to us about your deep love of both typography, lettering, and and words? Sure. I think that without really noticing it until I started doing typography and reflecting on what was it maybe that drew me in so much. But my family is definitely like a word family. Like my mum's side, like there would always be like little jokes and puns and wordplay and those sorts of things. I was never like a huge reader. Like I never read huge big fiction novels, which people are always like, what? But you love typography and words. It seems like, you know, the opposite. But I like the idea of like cultural references and language and the way that that evolves over time and the way that it can speak to a certain place or a memory. I liked that kind of cultural side of things and the human side of it. And I think that was a big thing when I first got interested in typography because you know, you'd start to realize how much it's embedded in like our daily lives in all aspects of anything from reading a newspaper to, you know, text messages, but then as something that someone wrote on a fridge that they're throwing out on the street, they're like free. And so there was just all these forms of like design and undesigned communication that was, I suddenly realized this isn't going anywhere. You know, the alphabet's been around for a long time. Language is this construct that 
we've invented and we use and it's amazing. And so I think that that side of it will always interest me aside from just the creative side of making it as an area to like research and, and listen to. I love that. And so I think that's what will probably keep me interested, whether it ends up being in research or in creating stuff. But yeah, I just really love that reference between visual communication and humans and culture. Yeah. And words can have totally different meanings in different contexts. And when you're approaching a new project and you're given, you know, a word or you think Mm -hmm. of a phrase or, or a saying or something, do you have like a feeling And does that come out in the way that the word ends up looking? I think it's a combination. If I'm given the text already that's existing, it'll be a matter of looking at not only what it means, but, you know, how many letters does this have? How could it sit? It's it's like simultaneously working out the visuals and the meaning behind it. And I think that sometimes it's not like a direct, literal, you know, if you're writing flower, you don't necessarily have to draw flowers, but, you know, how can you incorporate like, energy or movement or positivity, all these kind of like really subtle underlying things can be embedded in the way that you create the letters or combine them with illustration. And I think that interplay between the meaning and the tools that you have at your disposal to manipulate it, to represent or change that meaning accordingly is very exciting. Have you ever had a situation where you had a difficult time with a word or a group of words where you were just like, oh, I just can't convey what I, I want <laughs> to say? Or did it just not turn out the way you wanted it to? I think it's the actual the hardest thing is coming up with um, words initially, because so much of the commercial work that I do, they're given to me. So it's really like it's skipping a whole conceptual phase initially. So like when I did that solo show that I was talking about, I was thinking, okay, well, I need like a set of short phrases that I want to use that not only are linked conceptually, but then can also be linked visually or have the right length to fit in this space or look good. So it's just a constant back and forth. And I think that when I've got to think of the words myself, you know, as soon as you rule out song lyrics, poems, inspirational quotes, um, somebody else's words and you're left to write something yourself, which is where like, I always want to be heading with my own personal work to create something that's closer to art. Then I'm like, okay, well maybe I need to spend more time writing or thinking about what I want to be saying. Is there a process that you do? Do you have like a journal and you just, you know, word vomit um, (laughs) all over? (laughs) Basically I have two, so two techniques. One is that I have like an ongoing notes system that's synced on my digital devices. So it's just literally a long list. And sometimes it might be just two words like ultraviolet. And I don't necessarily know why I like it, but I like it. (laughs) And so they will all go in the list and then I will kind of look back on it and select a few different ones and then often just write things out as well. Okay. Words and permanence. So words are fleeting for the most part. We read them, you know, we digest them, they go away. But have you ever considered getting a word or a phrase tattooed on you? Have you ever done (laughs) word tattoos for other people? Because that's a little more permanent. (laughs) Yes. I've never actually designed a tattoo. Although I do have a funny story, which maybe if we have time, I'll tell you. We do. Let's hear it. (laughs) So lots of people had asked me to design tattoos for them. And I always kind of said no, because I'm like, I don't know if I want that responsibility. I feel like tattooing is a whole world in itself. And there's people who are amazing at it. So I'll leave them to do it. But there was this one guy in a band who I had been doing some design work for them separately. And he was like, Hey, can you design 
a tattoo for me. I'm like, oh, I don't know. He's like, can you still a couple of sketches? And so I did a few sketches. I don't think he's going to listen to this or let's tell a story. Um, and <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what, it was a Beatles lyric. Uh, oh, it was Here Comes the Sun. And so I did a few sketches and I'm like, look, I don't know. I think it's a bit too feminine. I just, the style, I wasn't convinced. Like I, I kind of strongly said that, you know, maybe he should think about it or do something else. Or I'm like, you should just have a unicorn jumping out of a fire. You know, if you're going to get a tattoo. Anyway, so he was like, okay, cool. I'll leave it. Maybe we'll come back to it in like a few months or so. So we kind of left it, didn't hear from him. The following summer, he like kind of rings me up. He's like, Hey Gemma, we're going to a party and we're going to go um, swimming up in the Northern beaches. Do you want to come? I was like, sure. And so I kind of went with them and we're all about to jump off this ledge into this big water hole and he takes off his shirt and then he like revealed to me that he'd gotten the tattoo <laughs> based on the sketch and was just like, look, like it was a surprise. I was like, oh, <laughs> and I didn't, yeah, I didn't think it looked too good. But anyway, oh, that's no. my only time. <laughs> where, where did he get the tattoo? Like on his chest, on his kind of like, yeah, on his pectoral. Is that what it is? Oh. <laughs> and it was, it said, here comes the sun. Yeah, so it was like, I mean, I kind of like, I like it, here comes the sun, but I just didn't like it. It didn't, I didn't like it as a tattoo, but hey, it's his body. He can do what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, it's better that it wasn't a giant back piece. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I read doing research on you that you're also an active public speaker. It seems like that's a big part of the work that you do. Do you enjoy the spoken word as much as the written word? I think I enjoy it as a way of kind of reflecting on my own work, thinking about the field and then being able to kind of share my enthusiasm and passion for it with, you know, different audiences. And I think also being in Australia where I love and I love living here and I want to stay here, but to be able to travel to different cities and kind of meet people and and talk is a great way to kind of have a balance between those two things. And I actually think that I'm, as I said before, I wasn't like a huge reader. I feel like I'm more of an audio visual person. So I love taking the information by listening. And I feel like sometimes I can communicate faster my ideas by talking. So a lot of the time when I do a public speaking event, I will like have loose ideas around what I'm going to say and then just, you know, improvise from there. That's quite a talent improvising. So I'm guessing that you are probably on the extroverted scale. I definitely would say I'm probably an extrovert. Although I do actually like to be a hermit and escape and be completely disconnected a lot of the time when I do work. I think it's too extreme, you know, in social or those kinds of contexts, definitely extroverted, but then leave me alone. I need to create some new stuff. (laughs) Get get out of my space. Yeah. Well, you seem to be left-brained and right-brained, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the business of design because you do work for yourself did that seem to come fairly easily for you I know you work with an agency but uh how how does that all work to be honest I think that I've only gotten better at it through you know having to do it for four years then you know just the talking to clients negotiating you know doing your tax all those business things that when I worked for the big design companies you know you never even had to really think about it was all done Mm -hmm. for you so it's definitely something that I probably wasn't very good at to start off with even just you know I think as a creative person Things like deadlines, you just, they're the worst. And even now, you know, the deadline is the thing that really drives the process. And I think I've only gotten better at, you know, things like time management and accepting when something's done because it has to be done 
taking creative criticism, all those kinds of things. I think I've managed to compartmentalize the commercial work. I think of it more as a job. And so I think, okay, well, yes, I'm being creative and yes, I'm putting myself into this, but part of it, I have to, you know, cut off and be like, okay, well, you know, they need it by Mm -hmm. this time. So I can't do that. And, you know, just kind of finding a middle ground. Are you a procrastinator or are you, you know, a revisionist? You just continue revising and you can't ever call something done. Maybe a little bit of both. Like when I think of procrastinating, I definitely put things off, but usually because I've got multiple projects, the good thing is I can procrastinate by doing another project. So it's not like I'm sitting there watching <laughs> Netflix. It's like um, a productive procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more of a, um, a delay out of, probably out of fear, especially if it's something new, you know, if it's something that I've done before and it's, they've taken something from my folio and we want this, I can really quickly just get into it and churn it out. But I think it's like when I know that I want to do something new, there's that hesitation at the beginning where I don't really know it at the time, but I think it's because I'm scared that it's not going to be good. And so it kind of takes a while to come out and the closer the deadline is, the faster it forces that idea to come out. (laughs) So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your life at home. You mentioned a boyfriend that you moved to Sydney with. You mentioned he was a then boyfriend, so he's not in the picture anymore, but... But what is your, your home life like? So my home life currently is I live in a big three-story terrace house, which I've actually been in for about four years, so since the beginning of my freelance career. And it's kind of like come and go with different people living in it. So at the moment I have two girls living here who are also my friends, and I have two spaces. So I have a studio space, an attic, and another room. And then at the end of the year, my now boyfriend is going to be moving in. We're going to take over the house and turn it into a big creative place because he's a writer. So, yeah, it'll be great. Oh, you fell in love with a writer. That sounds like a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That sounds wonderful, actually. I love words, too. And so that sounds like a life filled with words. And not only that, but a really articulate and poetic use of words. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's kind of nice to have a creative discipline that's, you know, similar, but also very, very different in that you can talk about, you know, I'm doing this or what do you think about this? But they're not really overlapping, like in terms of the final output or, you know, what you're creating. Mm -hmm. There can be synergy without direct competition. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So what do you do, you know, if if you're churning output all the time, creative Mm -hmm. output, Mm -hmm. how do you take care of yourself to make sure you can operate at peak levels or that you can always have a reservoir of creativity to pull from? Well, I like to run. I kind of I used to run in school doing like cross country and stuff, but now I definitely use it as like a, you know, stress relief kind of like you know, get those endorphins released kind of thing. I try and run like three times a week. I also ride a bike. I love riding my bike. So around Sydney, it's like a great way to get around and also something that I do to relax. I've also recently started cooking a lot more. I love cooking, but I never used to do it because it was always like, I'm so busy. This deadline's more important or, you know, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. But I started doing it a lot more often and come to enjoy it very much. So I think it's a constant, you know, trying to find ways to make sure that there's life, work-life balance. Because I definitely never used to have work-life balance. It was like work was the thing. 
And I think I've only in the last couple of years realized you've got to have a life that's, you know, balanced. And when you die, you're not going to remember sitting at your computer, like changing that PSD. You're going to remember like hanging out with your friends and, you (laughs) know, having good times. (laughs) Yeah. When you're young, it seems easier to push like that. Um, But then you sort of reach a point where pushing all the time doesn't seem like that should be all there is. And you can start to feel like, well, if I keep doing this, I'm going to head towards burnout. And Totally. I'm stave that off somehow. So that's when work-life balance starts to really become important. I love to hear that you're cooking. That sounds like something that would be really fun to do with your writer boyfriend. I used to find it annoying just to cook for yourself. Yeah. But now I've like gotten over that and I don't think he knew I could cook. He actually posted a picture of me painting a mural just a few days ago and was like, but can she cook? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. And I think, you know, it's creative as well. Like I'm not the most amazing chef, but I think, you know, it's a similar process. Like once you've got your base ingredients, you can kind of mix it up a bit. And yeah, you know, once you have something creative that is a passion and then it becomes work, it's nice to have something else that is just completely free from anything other than just enjoyment. And it's a generous activity. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of things that are creative outlets for you, are you working on any personal projects right now, similar to the spew bags that you're really excited about? I've got a couple, I've got two like personal projects that are in a similar vein to the spew bag in the sense that they're fun and kind of involve puns and are a bit silly, but they're they're secretly in the works. I'm I'm not ready to share them yet. Hopefully in the next year, they'll emerge. (laughs) To wait a year. I know. (laughs) And then I also am working towards ultimately like another kind of installation style exhibition. And then just in between, you know, between now and the end of the year, I've got lots of travel coming up. So I've got the AIGA conference in Las Vegas and then Adobe Max in San Diego, which are happening October, November bit of Europe in between. So lots of kind of on the road time. So there'll hopefully be exciting things coming out of those trips as well. Great. Yeah. I'm excited about Adobe Max because uh, I'm, I live here in San Diego, so hopefully we'll get to meet up. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. Well, Amy and I would like to take the next couple minutes to just play a fun word association game with you if you are down. Sure. So this is just a silly and fun word association game. Just like a traditional word association game, we will say a word and you yeah. say the first word that comes into your mind. Don't even think about it. Just you got to come out with it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Amy, you want to start? Okay. The first word is voluminous. Hair. <laughs> Necktie. Check. Crevice. Sand. Common. Common, did you say? Mm-hmm. Lettuce? <laughs> Pustule. <laughs> I can't say that without laughing. Oh I'm so God. glad that wasn't my word. <laughs> Wait, did you say something? I was laughing too hard. I said doctor. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> Disaster. Tornado. Pineapple. Oh, summer. <laughs> Dustbuster. Clean. <laughs> Iceberg. Antarctica? Watermelon. Oh, also summer. <laughs> Sumptuous. Chocolate pudding? Oh my god, they're all food. I keep oh. on saying food. I don't even <laughs> think food. <laughs> Ladle. Oh, milk? <laughs> Cumulative. Oh, math? Did you say smarts? Math. 
Mass. Okay. Oh, math. Not you guys say math. I think. <laughs> Mathematics. Oh, like. you say <laughs> maths with an S? Yeah, we say it with an S. Oh, really? I never I knew know. that. It's so weird. There's so many like funny little Australian American things like oh. that. Oh, they always pop up. <laughs> Celebrity. Oh, oh God, Kim Kardashian. That's so annoying. That was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> you can't escape from the Kardashians, no matter where in the world you live. <laughs> okay, and the last word, lobotomized. Oh my god, crazy? <laughs> That's what that is, right? Isn't that that thing where they put that thing in your brain and suck stuff out? I yes. think they drill a hole into your brain. It's yeah. terrible. That's horrible. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun, yeah. Thanks for playing. That was a very good list, you guys. I feel like I learned a lot. I learned that you like to eat. <laughs> I now have such a craving for chocolate pudding. After I go get this pustule dealt with. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> okay, and in wrapping this up, you already talked about some projects that you have in, in the works. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about? I think we've covered everything. You can follow anything else that I do, as I said before, on Instagram. And my handle is Mrs. Eves 101 And Twitter, it's Mrs. Eves without the 101. <laughs> Okay, and we'll put those links on our show notes, too. And do you have a website where they can look at some of your projects? Sure, if you go to jemobryan.com. Okay, well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for calling us from the future. Yeah, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me. We have learned a lot, and uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you speak at one of the events coming up. Yeah. yeah sounds good. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Gemma. What a cutie pie. I think I want to be best friends with her. I, I think know. I want to eat sumptuous chocolate pudding. I want to hang out with her and her artist boyfriend in their three-story terrace house and uh, eat her cooking and have her design all my tattoos. I know. That was so much fun. I am a sucker for an Australian accent, too. So I just loved listening to that. <laughs> I always think it's really interesting, too, when we have really young creatives. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of people who have had years in and bodies of works built up. But yes, sometimes young creatives just have a, a youthful energy and an interesting story that is still fresh about how they got started and how they're getting started. Yeah, and we're finding this more and more with young creatives that they're getting noticed on Instagram or from their blog or something they put on Pinterest and they're developing entire careers out of it. So it's really fascinating to hear her story and how she had so many pivotal moments in her young career. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see how many more fun things she can cook up on Instagram. Yes, I read a statistic that 50, 55% of B2B let's say buyers or decision makers are going to be millennials in the next couple of years. And so they're doing all their research via the internet. And so it's not just YouTube stars and it's the way people are doing business now. If you're not on the internet, you don't exist. But I think that her story is kind of exciting that she got her big break from her blog and then her Instagram account has really taken off and she just feels like a very modern example of the way creatives are 
structuring their careers. Well, I love that her big break started with a criticism of something from someone with a lot of experience, and then he ended up apologizing (laughs) to her, which is really, really funny. But it just goes to show you that if you do things a certain way, just because there's newbies doing something a different way doesn't mean that they're wrong. So it's, it's about having an open mind about creativity. Also, what's next for the future of design? Yeah, what is next for the future of design, Jamie? I don't know, <laughs> but if somebody could design me an air conditioner right now because I'm sweating so bad, <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. Oh, it's hot in here. <laughs> oh, no, pantsless Jamie. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on the web at cleverpodcast.com. You should go there because that's where you can read our show notes and you can see images of Gemma because she's adorable and her work, which is amazing. Plus, Jamie and I compiled our favorite spew bags, including such hits as Queasy Like Sunday Morning and Puke Skywalker. Barfing was never so glamorous. That's so ridiculous. (laughs) And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so you can be notified about new episodes and follow us twitter instagram facebook at clever podcast we love to hear from you and your feedback is always appreciated so get on there and chat with us yes follow this episode of clever was edited by chris modal of your studio with music by l1011 Hello there, this message is coming to you from the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, a collection of fascinating conversations with leading historians, giving you the lowdown on history's biggest characters, hidden stories and greatest adventures. Speaking of great adventures, this week the History Extra podcast is brought to you by Booking.com. Whether you're looking for a culture-filled city break, a local getaway or a far-flung adventure, you can save at least 30% with Booking.com's Black Friday deals. These deals are for a limited time only, so you'll need to book before 1st of December to make the most of them. But the good news is that you'll have the flexibility to travel any time in 2021. Head to Booking.com forward slash Black Friday to book your next big adventure.